Welcome back to Gold and Gray, telling Asian American stories from the Gold Rush to the Gold Open. And welcome back to a new season of Gold and Great. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by our artist, interview producer, Adrian. Adrian's been a part of the pod behind the scenes, producing and editing since season one, and I am super psyched to get him in front of the mic this season. What's up, Adrian? Hey, it's really great to be here. I'm super excited to be on air. Uh, It's a new season, season three. Um, So that means... back. Yeah, that means... We're trying new things. So what's new this time around, Josh? Yeah, well, you know, we've been thinking a lot, especially uh, as we're once again in this season of Stop Asian Hate. And so this year, as you can already tell, you'll be hearing not just from me, not just from Adrian, but a spectrum of collaboration SF voices that are ready to welcome you, to make you take your shoes off before you listen. Uh, but but have real talk about steps that we can take to strengthen our art and our activism. So every month, you'll be hearing interviews with creatives in fields varying from music to dance to film and more, uh, but also uh, roundtables this season with, with community leaders on what we're all talking and thinking about from mental health to uh, differences in ethnic groups in the Asian American identity Shang-Chi, and a whole lot more. Yeah, what we're aiming for this season is for you to feel a little more empowered by the end of each episode. And so through each episode, uh, which you can listen on your commute, which some of us are doing now, uh, or on a walk, um, you'll leave uh, at the end of our episodes with some concrete ways to get more plugged in uh, to Apita Art, or an issue our community is working through, or maybe just a way to get more educated. Um, share your thoughts or takeaways anytime using the hashtag uh, gold and great. Yeah, really excited for this season. It's not necessarily a walk or a commute for me. It's like that's podcast on my working out playlist. So I will be adding gold and great to that. Uh, excited to uh Kick off this first episode. Should we talk about our first interview yeah, of the year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I got the chance to sit down and chat with Jason Chu. He's a rapper, poet, and activist. You've heard his music on Warrior on HBO Max, Blue Assassins on Netflix, Snowpiercer, all of the things. He shared poetry at the Obama White House, presented at the Getty Center. Uh, Jason's also communications director at uh, nonprofit Hate is a Virus, which has been doing especially great work this past year. I, I was really interested in speaking to him and thinking through what tangible next steps look like. Um, if, you know, if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to listen back to episode 22 of the podcast, which came out a couple months ago with Adrian and another panel on hashtag stop Asian hate. And I feel like it really complements this episode well. Uh, His current project, Jason Chu's project, a collaboration with Alan Z called Face Value, is packed with artists and other prominent voices from the diverse Asian American community. Uh, B. Vang, Tet, Chow Mein, AJ Raphael, uh, Humble the Poet, Ruby Ibarra, 
Zita Zhang, it's crazy. Ronnie Chang, Anthony Ting Du Bong. Um, and there's obviously lots of dense wordplay and Apita history involved as well. There's so much to learn from our past, and especially in, in this cultural moment, really thinking about how we can access it, but also what we can take and, and use from it. So, uh, so with that said, let's have Jason introduce himself. Yeah, so, uh, you know, basically, uh, my name is Jason Chu. I'm an Asian-American hip-hop artist and activist. Uh, you know, I make music. Uh, I just kind of generally want my music to be able to be a soundtrack for people's lives. You know, like, if you're if you're feeling good and chill, you can throw it on on Alexa. You know, if you're feeling, like, you know, hype, you know, uh, love songs, whatever it is, I try to make music that, that feels like it can fit in your life. Um, but then lyrically, definitely everything I do is driven by my understanding of, you know, Asian American identity and community that this is, you know, really, really the community I come from. This is, this is the strength and historical resilience and foundations that made me. And, uh, and, and I love telling stories of our communities and our families and our, you know, our, our work in this country. Um, and that's a lot of, a lot of what motivates me lyrically is really putting on for the community and the cultures. Um, well, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to going and great. How's it going? Hey, it is great. Um, really excited to be here sharing this new music face value that we just put out like a week, week and a half ago. And, uh, yeah, it's great to reconnect with y'all, you know, after a long, long pandemic, uh, we're finally coming out, starting to come out on the other side. So it's great to be with y'all today. Um, you started sharing a little bit about this. How, how did the Genesis for face value come out, um, through your collab with, with Alan Z and then, uh, coming up with the concept and putting it all together? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, I'd say that really this project came about, you know, obviously COVID-19 happened and there was so much anti-Asian racism going on. And so Alan and I, you know, we're friends. We call, we, we work together sometimes. We check in on each other and we're just having these conversations about, you know, where does this all come from? And I think there's been so much conversation over the last year about saying, hey, uh, you know, um, like, frankly, a lot of Asian Americans have started caring about race in a very personal way that they didn't before. And I think that's a great thing. But I think the danger is that often I saw this narrative. I saw this narrative of, hey, Asians, we've been silent for too long. It's time for us to finally speak up and to finally be in solidarity with other people. You know, uh, racism affects us, too. Oh, my God. Surprise. And that's just. Yeah, right. And, and, and that's great that you just woke up to this reality. But to say that Asian Americans have never understood this reality before is actually just playing into a racist erasure of our ancestors. Right. Uh, you tell that to Yuri Kochiyama or Grace Lee Boggs or Fred Korematsu or, you know, Bagasing Tind or the Japanese American Citizens League or Nikkei Progressives or OCA. Right. Like we have so many ancestors who literally spent their lives fighting for Asian Americans to have a seat at the table, for Chinatowns to have self-determination, for you know Asian Americans to have to be called Asian America. And so what we really wanted to do was tie the urgency that it feels like a lot of people are feeling right now to the history that we've learned and to say, hey, this is awesome that you care right now. 
Now let's ground that caring in something that has these historical facts behind it so that you realize, you know, like, it's not like, oh my God, Asian Americans really care now. It's 170 years of role models and of mentors and of examples that can inspire what we're going through right now. Um, so that's really where the heart behind face value came from. And then uh, the project just came together. You know, we uh, I've had a couple of friends who who were willing to fund and, and we reached out and, and were able to get the project funded. And then uh, we just started writing and reaching out to other collaborators. Uh, and it was a hell of a winter like we we were nonstop. Uh, but in the end, it worked out. And, and, you know, super proud of the album, which is streaming everywhere now it got picked up on a couple spotify editorial playlists uh it's all exciting i know just congrats on on all the success and i i think the process too really underscores like the urgency of how much this is this is needed for people to hear and specifically mm -hmm. our community getting plugged in to our history and there's a lot i want to to dig in with that um but i think just just going back to your personal history and what you've seen since when you first started um you've been in it now like what almost a decade it's been like eight nine years yeah something like that. i moved to la nine years ago to uh to really try to do this and uh, i'm still here so you know almost, um, almost about to hit double right. digits. yeah yeah Congrats. yeah I'm, I'm thankful really thankful because i know a lot of my peers that started around the same time um you know and not always for the wrong reasons but you know, a lot of people figured out that that this music lifestyle wasn't sustainable or wasn't what they really wanted to pursue. Um, but I'm really grateful that I'm still able to make money by, you know, making music and getting it out there. Uh, and, and not just music about, you know, your own life, but about our community. And so I guess I am curious of just from when you first started, when you showed up in L.A. nine years ago, uh, what has it been like for you on the ground of how you've seen this evolution in activism and how just you know your regular old uh mom and pop have been thinking about um getting engaged getting plugged in yeah i think that that again i see it as a positive thing i'm glad that more people care right now yeah um and it seems like so many folks uh whether you know uh grandparents to you know working class folks uh academics you know students Everyone uh, seems to care more right now, and I think that's super exciting. Um, and and there's this rush towards saying, "Hey, let's have some solidarity. Let's you know stand against anti-Asian racism. Let's stand with Asian American Pacific Islander Americans." And I love that. I think that's super exciting. Um, again, my hope is that you know there's organizations out there like you know Russell Jung um, from. Stop API hate. Uh, Russell's a good friend, and you know Russell's based in uh, the Asian American movement. You know he's a professor of Asian American studies. Uh, so I love that. You know the first prominent research organization, Stop API Hate, which came out to report on the rise of anti-Asian hate incidents, is driven by people who have such deep roots in the movement. Um, and then I'd say similarly, the organization I'm a part of, Hate is a Virus. Um, you know, the fact that on our team, we have a lot of folks who are very well versed in not just activism, but also ethnic studies. Um, I really hope that that's where the movement goes, right? If people realize, hey, racism is a problem, um, then literally digging into the fields of study 
uh, you know, that that make for the last 50 years, right, since um, the rise of the ethnic studies movement in 68 to 72, uh, which happened in the Bay Area, you know, shouts to Berkeley, uh, shouts to, you know, uh, SFSU, like, you know, some of these um, these schools in the Bay Area that really paved the way for contemporary Asian American understanding. Uh, I hope that more people will turn to that and realize like, hey, we need to fund Asian American studies. Hey, we need to, you know, have uh, smart, uh, you know, students who are going into college and Asian American studies is something that can be useful, uh, a useful investment of our generational talent. Um, because when racist waves of racism like this current one that we're seeing happen, um, we need folks who are trained and aware of history and sociology, and, and we can do that in, in Asian American studies departments. Um, so this is all kind of where I'm hoping the movement goes right now, um, towards increased awareness and understanding that, you know, this enemy that we're fighting, it doesn't just happen to come up uh, out of the blue. It's, it's, you know, if you studied sociology, if you studied history, you've studied race, and you've studied culture, um, none of this is new. It's just a reiteration of a familiar pattern. And I feel like what you're describing is really a lot of what face value is as just, you know, an ethnic studies minor myself and like hearing, hey. hearing the history in a way that's just, it's so fun. It's like, it's a bop, but also like something that you can like have in the background, really focus in um, because there's, there's so much to the lyrics, um, so much to dive into. Um, I also want to just hear about some of the, the other factors that make up, you know, your specific, um, MC quality, MC role, um, you know, for you, um, obviously being being in the hip hop community, um, being in the Asian community, being in the Christian community, how have all of those uh, cultural identifiers informed your activism from theology to hip hop uh, to just all the different places you've lived and been from from Beijing to across the US? Man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that question because you really know me. You, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of people who've seen certain sides, but, but you really, really uh, know where I've come from and what I've been through. And, and I'd say that, you know, we are all the sum of our full journeys. Yeah. You know, everything that we go into, whether it's a podcast recording, whether it's a song recording, whether it's a concert, whether it's a friendship, uh, we bring our full selves into it. And if we aren't conscious of it, then it's not that we're not bringing those things to the table. It's just that we don't know how it's impacting us, right? So absolutely, you know, Chinese American, um, very, very proud of my roots in the Asian American movement. My mentors are all people who, who worked and fought in the 60s and 70s so that we could have a sense of pan-ethnic Asian American racial community. And, and that's so much, and that's something that I always wanna shout out. I wanna shout out uh, Diane Ujie, um, who's, who's my activist mentor, and Ken Fong, who is, you know, a, uh, a really legendary minister and sort of Asian-American voice in, in SoCal. Um, shout out to the Asian America podcast. Yeah, shout outs to Asian America, the Ken Fong podcast. Um, yeah, so, you know, like, like I really want to shout that out because, again, it's so important to me to point out that it's not in our generation that this started happening. Right. It's not like, hey, you know, uh, we had no. And, and I think that Asian-Americans do suffer from a lack of generational mentorship. Um, mm. But that's so often because 
there were so few in the generations before us because they also were pushed out of this. You know, it was it was difficult for them to be full time activists or full time, you know, um, speakers or whatever. Um, so for those who do really model mentorship, I want to shout them out. Um, and you asked about, you know, uh, my, my religious identity. Like I'm actually, yeah, I was just talking with a, a friend, an Asian American studies professor, actually, uh, my boy, Anthony Kim, who just finished working at Williams College. Um, we were talking over lunch about how uh, my religious identity is actually really important to my understanding of my like Asian American racial activism. And, you know, I, I think in that way, you know, you look at um, a Cesar Chavez or you look at a, you know, like so many uh, black social rights leaders, uh, you know, um, civil rights leaders and black power movement. Uh, we're very moved by their religious faith. Um, and you even dig into Asian American history. Um, and, you know, a Larry Itliong certainly, certainly was shaped by his Catholicism growing up. Yeah. Uh, you look at uh, Mabel Pinghua Lee, who very famously uh, was not only a deacon in a church in Chinatown, New York, uh, but 100 years ago, she actually used family wealth to buy uh, what's now 26 Pell Street in Chinatown, New York City. Uh, she used her family wealth to buy this church from a white denomination and give it to uh, the Chinese Christian church so that they wouldn't be uh, subservient to the whims of a white landowner. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I look at models like that. And for me, my understanding of my Christian self is very much tied into my understanding of my activist self. Uh, it's, it's a lot of what roots and, and gives me an undercurrent of faith and of hope and of strength in the work I'm doing. Um, but I also want to be clear that, you know, it's not Christian faith as a lot of people understand and see it practiced. You know, like the goal of my music is certainly not to make people Christian uh, or, to, or to tell people to believe this or that or to say, hey, you know, um, if, if, you're, <laughs> if somebody's racist against you, you got to pray more. You know, um, which I, uh, I believe in prayer and I believe in, and there's so much there, but I will say that I think religion has so often been used as a colonial tool, right? You look at uh, how Shanghai, right? Uh, so much of the way that Christianity was spread in mainland China was literally on the heels of drug dealers, right? When when the opium wars happened and, and Europe fought literally for the right to sell drugs to Chinese populations. Um, it was foreign missionaries who came in on the coattails of those wars and spread, uh, you know, Christianity. Or, you know, the same thing for, for Japan, right? Uh, Christian, Western Christianity in Japan spread because of Western imperialism. And so I think for me, uh, always the interesting question is, what does a Christian faith look like when it's, removed from colonizing patriarchal oppressive uh syncretism right all of mm. this western white patriarchal culture that's been injected into the definition of christian faith when you take it out of that or when you replace it actually with you know um the cries of the oppressed people right the culture of oppressed peoples the culture of marginalized peoples the culture of queer or, you know, female-bodied, when you center the marginalized within a Christian religious framework, 
how does that Christianity start looking different? And I think the ways that it starts looking different are things that that work very well with the kinds of music I'm trying to make and the kinds of messages I'm trying to give the world. Uh, so it all fits together. It's just in this very loose kind of ad hoc amalgamation that that I would never ask somebody else to replicate because, you know, it's 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 my life and it's my influences. And I hope that that every artist and every creator and every activist and every person out there is similarly finding a way to to holistically be themselves. Right. To be the fullness of themselves without compromising any piece of it. Yeah. And I, I love that focus on. um I guess specifically just for for your Christian faith and that that focus and intention on on marginalized communities. I I just think about the way that I think power has been intertwined with faith for just America and how we've you know we've treated Black folks and the difference between creating a new theology of you know slaves being lower or less than versus um, you know using. Uh, I guess specifically Christian faith and like the abolitionist movement and having folks be in the in the Imago Dei and the idea of inhuman dignity and all of it is informing um, our activism, our work, and obviously for you, hip hop is is a big part of that as well. Um, how was how was your music career, your MC career? Um, how has that kind of moved uh, as as you've also you know become more more entrenched in in our community movements? Um, and then now, you know, being at, 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 hate, at hate as a virus, how has that all influenced your work? Yeah, I think like it, it, it everything bleeds back and forth so yeah. much. And, uh, and, you know, I'll say this, when I moved to LA, I just wanted to be a part of change. You know, I just wanted to help shift the needle. Um, and I fast forward now to where I'm at in my career. Sorry. Uh, and I fast forward now to where I'm at in my career. And I feel like so many... Uh, of our friends are the ones helping move the needle, you know, whether that's uh, Tammy and Michelle and the team at Hate is a Virus, um, which is doing so much in order to strengthen and divert funds to grassroots Asian American organizing and community development. Uh, whether that's, you know, friends uh, at Gold House, you know, shout outs to Bing and yeah. shout outs to the whole team at Gold House who are really shaping how Asian American media is portrayed and understood from a commercial perspective, com creating commercial successes. You know, this culture of supporting Asian American media. That's amazing. Uh, I think of, you know, my friend uh, Andrew Chow with Boba Guys and all that Boba Guys is doing in order to bridge cultures, in order to create um and help really rebrand Boba in a way that doesn't, you know, uh, gentrify it, but in a way that actually just shows people that this is not, you know, some drink that you find at like, you know, Chinatown restaurants and, oh, I guess that's something that we drink when we go to, you know, takeout. Um, but this is actually like, you know, globally just a leader of culture that, you know, in the same way that Starbucks took coffee and made everybody realize coffee is this really significant cultural thing. You know, I, 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 so the fact that now at this point in my career, I can look around and say, man, it's, it's our friends that are really helping move the needle. It makes me so happy because I always just wanted to be a part of a community that was helping drive change, mm -hmm. uh, positive change, informed change. And I look around at the people that are around me now and, and I see them doing that. And that's the most exciting thing to me um, is to know. And I think this is so important. 
uh, to know that it's not one voice or one exceptional individual that changes the world. It's communities of people who work together, right? I always think about the relationship between Jackie Robinson and Satchel Paige and the Negro Leagues, right? Mm. So everybody knows Jackie Robinson's name, right? Jackie Robinson was the one that broke the color barrier in professional baseball. But the fact is, if it weren't for the Negro Leagues, right? If it weren't for this, this enormous pool of black talent, that was sitting there right behind Jackie Robinson, um, there wouldn't have been that same breakthrough. And I think the same is true of any marginalized group. You're always going to have one or two individuals that the mainstream recognizes and tokenizes as the one to do it. But it's always the dozens and hundreds and thousands of other talent behind them in the community that lifts them up and pushes them past that, uh, you know, past that line of visibility. And so, you know, uh, like shout outs to an Eddie Wong, shout outs to Joji, shout outs to, you know, uh, Rina Sawayama and, you know, like all of these, uh, the Linda Lindas, um, all Japanese of these artists, everyone, Japanese breakfast, right? Shout outs to all these people who are starting to push past the surface, uh, Piggy Go, you know, th- it's amazing, but know that without your collaborations, without your um, Tuesday night cafes, without your Sunday jumps, without your Asian American writers workshops, you know, like we need both. You can't have the superstars without having the deep roster of talent. And when I look around at our communities, I'm so proud to know that there's a deep roster of talent. So even if, you know, I might not get a billboard charting single, but we're all part of this community that helps push certain individuals to that point where they can impact in that way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't sell, sell yourself that short, but <laughs> um, no, when, when, when you talk about collaboration in, in December, you know, we had the, our, our 20th anniversary celebration, um, super mm-hmm. dope, obviously would have been so much more fun uh, if it wasn't on Zoom, but still, I think, for me, what was really powerful and inspiring and something I, I later shared with the rest of my team was to, you know, to see uh, Jimmy O. Yang come back and remembering mm. that, you know, Jimmy started, uh, he hosted one of our SF showcases uh, a couple of years before Silicon Valley or to see Daniel DeCam or other folks uh, who, you know, everyone now knows and how they got their start and collabs role and what I've been telling our staff is that that is the role that you play that you are you are planting the seeds and you might get to see some of it um and you might not and it's just it's your part to do with what you have with what you got and I think that's exciting and empowering when you do get to see um some of the the blossoms some of the the full full roots that have popped up over these past 20 years um I wanted to uh throw out uh some lyrics from from your album um, from Malcolm and Yuri, um, I think what hit was digging into to redlining. You said not white, so they hit us with the red line. Yeah. Not white, so they hit us with the red line. Yeah. Couldn't be out of a neighborhood at the bedtime. Final minority met the war on drugs. Got a community split, but the war's on us. Bro, you and, I, and obviously, it's been a really difficult year. Uh, and 
I want to hear about just your emotional state over the past year. I know you also had to promote another album and it happened to be very uh, COVID themed, even if not intentional. Um, But it's just as communities of color have been barraged by, it seems epidemic after epidemic from COVID to police violence and then with anti-Asian hate crimes, what, what has been coming up for you? Yeah, so I love that record, Malcolm and Yuri, on the new Face Value project. Uh, it's really meaningful to me because it is actually the one record that features non-Asian features, right? So everything else, uh, it's all South, Southeast, and East Asian women and men uh, artists. But that record uh, and the lines you, you just played back, uh, that's me and my boy Jamel Mims, a.k.a. MC Tingbudong. Uh, so he's a bilingual English and Mandarin rapper. Uh, he's a black dude from D.C. He's an activist who lives in Harlem. And, uh, you know, to me, so much of what this last year has showed is how powerful we can be when we speak together. And we don't speak on behalf of each other, but we bring our full selves to the table, you know. Um, and this is something that I've talked about a lot with black activist friends is that, you know, they don't need us to try to be black they need us to know what it is to be asian american Mm. you know and so when we talk about uh you know um not white so they hit us with the red lines couldn't be out of our neighborhoods at the bedtimes um a lot of people don't even know the history of that the history of asian americans being denied uh home and rent and job opportunities because of our race um but when we're aware of that it helps us lend our voice in solidarity to a movement like Black Lives Matter because, in, you know, and, and not in a way that centers us and says, hey, we have problems too, pay attention to us, but in a way that says, hey, this is so wrong. We've been through this. We know how wrong this is. And, and we can speak from a point of embodied experience that, that you're not going to do this to other human beings. You know, so so that's why Malcolm and Yuri is such a meaningful song to me, because it's something that I think really draws from, you know, for me being a Chinese dude who's making money off of hip hop music. um, This really draws from a lot of these conversations around how do we have real allyship with other communities um, instead of just, you know, uh, gesturing towards it. Um, And again, I think it's uh, the answer to me is by knowing ourselves when we know ourselves then we can we can help others know ourselves as well yeah and i feel like both of those themes of understanding your experience and understanding or getting yourself educated are two of the the big pieces to you know building that that interracial solidarity um Mm -hmm. you know for me when i think about redlining i also think about you know my grandparents and coming to the Bay and moving to moving to El Cerrito because that was one of the only cities in the Bay that didn't have a racial covenant. Uh, yep. And there's there's a reason for that. There's an intentionality um, to that design. Um, how how have you been thinking about and living out that kind of interracial solidarity? I know you started to touch on that. Um, the important thing is just that we're not trying to be like we're not trying to be black. We're not asking black activists to to be Asian and supporting us. Uh, but understanding our our place, how to not necessarily speak for others, um, but to you know be ready to amplify their voice, amplify their struggle, and and vice mm-hmm. versa. How how has that been for you over the past year? And what have you seen change? Yeah, I think for me, um, 
it's so interesting, right? Because there has been, uh, and and we just passed the one year mark of of George Floyd's death, um, and this resurgent Black Lives Matter movement. You know, Breonna Taylor, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Elijah McClain, all of these names. It was just twelve months ago, tragically, that we were familiarized with their names, um, and. I think that there is this incredible moment. I've often likened it to uh, the 60s and 70s and the 80s in terms of this pan-ethnic racial awakening for Asian Americans. Um, And I think there's two factors, right? The first factor is that there's a general backdrop of racial activism, of racial unrest, of racial tension. Um, and and so in that way, we learn so much from uh, the communities around us because they're all going through so much and, and learning their stories and seeing how they move and seeing how they band together and seeing how they press for strategic change is actually something that really helps us uh, catch a vision as Asian Americans. It helps us envision what community solidarity, what urgent cries for change can look like. And I think the second factor that we're seeing right now is this uh, danger. There's clear and present danger. You know, in 68 to 72, uh, there was real racism going on. There was a wave of new immigrants coming after American imperialism in Vietnam and Korea and throughout Southeast Asia. And then in the 80s, right, the Asian American movement was again galvanized by the deaths of Vincent Chin and the uh, unjust imprisonment of Chol Su Lee. And I think that now, with this violence, Asian America is again waking up to the fact that, you know, in so many ways, we've not been allowed here. We've not been accepted here. We've not been uh, embraced in our own country. And, And it's the combination of the two, I think, looking at other racial movements that have, are refusing to settle. They're refusing to settle for tolerance right and they're demanding um they're 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 not even uh they're saying coexistence is not enough we Mm -hmm. need to be fully american we need to be fully seen as belonging here and having a stake in this country um and i think that 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 those two factors um seeing others do that and then having it thrown in our face um the ways that we aren't uh, have really sparked sort of a new wave of of the Asian American movement and identity. And I'm so excited for that. And so hopeful that it solidifies into systemic, long-term, established change, rather than just being like, hey, you remember that year that we all really cared about uh, this, that that you were all inside and we thought a lot about race. Uh, I hope that people can translate it into ongoing, you know, structural change. Yeah, and you know, I, I think for me, while I have that hope, I think knowing our history, I also just like want to give give some grace to us moving through the work. And, you know, like I, I think about the fact that um, I was on a panel the other week and someone mm. asked, what do you want to tell America about Asian Americans? And one of the things that immediately jumped to mind was the idea of being Asian American is 50 years old, basically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's I mean, you know, longer or shorter than, you know, my grandparents have been alive. It's not a long time. And so we are still trying to figure out how to be, um, 
how to be Asian American and learning how to support and uplift each other. Um, as we're looking to the the Grace Lee Boggs, the Yuri Kochiyamas, and learning um, of how how we can build these coalitions. Um, and it's a process, but we're, there's a lot after this year to be really hopeful for. Um, Jason, I want to close up with a couple couple questions for you, a little more a little more lightning round style. <laughs> um, so here we go. Uh, what was a standout memory um, from all the different collabs putting together this album? I remember, uh, so Ronnie Chang and Dante Bosco, you know, obviously like good, good brothers, incredible artists, very busy men. Um, so, you know, we hit them early and said, hey, we got this idea for a project. Would you be down? And and Ronnie and Dante were both, you know, for a while now, they've both been like, hey, man, you know, if you need something, let me know. I got you. So they're like, yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, we were we were mixing the album and, and they were both like, hey, I got you like like, you know, but when is it due? When do we really need to get it in? Um, and literally what happened was the last day that Alan and I were in with our mix engineer, um, Dante and Ronnie, we hadn't heard anything that they'd thought about doing. Um, and Ronnie, Ronnie was, I'm pretty sure, on set for Young Rock or something. And Dante uh, was also, you know, working. I mean, he's got his movie, The Fabulous Filipino Brothers, just debuted um, or debuted. Um, but, you know, uh, they both um, they both, uh, you know, separately sent in recordings from their trailers on set. Uh, and it was in the last like six hours that we had this engineer to finally mix and master and then turn it into our distributor. And it fit in perfectly. Uh, Dante's verse fit perfectly on our song Model Minority. Ronnie's monologue fit perfectly as the outro of the album. And so we were like, oh, thank God. Uh, but literally it was it was to the last couple hours of mixing and mastering. Um, but but both of the brothers uh, delivered and and super super grateful for what they gave us. <laughs> definitely no, their tracks definitely make up a big part of the album. Definitely a moment where we need a prayer there. So glad the glad that came in in those last six <laughs> yeah. hours. Um, lastly, Jason, what can what can our listeners do to continue diving into their own history, our collective story? Ronnie has this hilarious meaningful call to action at the close of the album and hit on a couple different things want to dive into that with you a little bit um especially just like what that practically looks like for folks um as we are moving out of of, of api month uh elections is the first thing that's mentioned of, of getting plugged into not just federal stuff but what's going on in your state in your city in your county mm -hmm. um what are one or two things people can do to get more plugged into the the local elections process yeah, I think folks should absolutely follow Run AAPI. Uh, this is a group encouraging Asian American and Pacific Islander folks to run for office and supporting the candidacies of those who do and support good policy. So please follow Run AAPI. Um, and continue to get uh, educated, right? And this is important. Just because you're Asian American doesn't mean you understand Asian American issues. Mm -hmm. And so please uh, go to hateisavirus.org. Uh, follow Hate is a Virus on Instagram at hate is a virus. Um, you know, get educated. Read, uh, read, uh, follow, follow good accounts. Um, read things like The Making of Asian America, The Making of Shout Asian America Erica by Lee. Erica Lee. Right. Uh, read uh, Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Hmm. Watch Asian Americans, 
the PBS docuseries by Renee Tajima Pena. And, um, and please, like, you know, stay actively tapping into this because what you'll realize is at first it seems like just a lot of names and a lot of history. But when it's your community involved in that history, it changes it because it's no longer just abstract facts that you're listening to. It's actually stuff that you can use to fuel your life. You know, um, I, I, I've been sharing this a lot, right? Face Value, our new album is out now everywhere. Uh, 15 tracks on Asian American history and, and our stories and how it resonates with what we're seeing today. And I tell people a lot about this. Um, growing up, I did not love history. Growing up, history was just a bunch of names and numbers that had nothing to do with my life today. That all changed when I realized that wasn't my history, Right, I was learning about what some white king in Europe wanted in like 1721. I don't care about that, but I do care about you know when uh, you know the first uh, Asian American family, the tapes, sued a school district because they were being racist against their kids. When you know Bagasing Tind, um, a sick American man who fought in World War I on the American side sued the government to become a citizen. When, you know, the Heart Seller Immigration and Nationality Act passed and suddenly people who look like us were allowed to come and become American without quotas, without waiting in a line. Um, history changes when it's your bodies that you can imagine in that immigration line or in that incarceration camp. Um, so please learn history, learn it through Face Value, the new project that's out now, and learn it through uh, books like The Making of Asian America, Minor Feelings, and the docu-series on PBS Asian Americans. And I think three of the major themes that I heard, and again, stream Face Value, such a seminal work, such an important work, and also just it's hella fun too to just, you know, have in the background as you're just, you know, hanging out and getting back to these in-person gatherings. Hey. No, 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 happening, let's go. Um, one, just the importance of building political power for ourselves, finding leaders that are invested in and knowledgeable about Asian American community issues. Two, um, understanding the importance of representation at every level from politics to education to pop culture. Um, no one talks about Sesori Hayakawa, the first um, mm -hmm. Asian American sex symbol. Um, yep. And lastly, just the importance of, of education. Um, and making sure that we are not just learning about the Asian American story, but understanding our own, how we fit into that. Um, and there's a lot to learn from, from face value, as well as some of the other resources Jason mentioned. So highly recommend you check those out. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. Last thing, um, can you just tell our listeners someone or something that's been gold and great to you recently? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I just want to. I uh, I want to shout out my partner. Um, she is an incredible person. She's kind. She's thoughtful. She is smart. Uh, she's educated and and em empathetic. And I think uh, knowing that you know there are people like her out there makes the work we do easier because it it gives us hope that you know when you put goodness out into the world uh it doesn't stand alone but it joins with others alongside it uh so my partner is uh vietnamese american uh just an incredible person uh and yeah i would like to shout her out because she inspires me uh every day 
That was beautiful. I can't say anything else to follow that, but uh, <laughs> we love you, Jason, and hey. love your partner. Um, I, you you bring that goodness into into our lives um, with your work and just getting to hang with you as well. So thanks for joining us on the pod, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, please do. Not a model, not a monolith, ayy Not a pawn for your politics, nah Learn from Gandhi and Dr. King If the system don't bring peace, we must abolish it, yeah If you only Education, representation, organization Let's get it, that is gonna do it for us today You can make sure and follow Jason Chu At Jason Chu Music everywhere you can send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldandgreat at collaboration.org. Collaboration is spelled with a K. Yeah, and you can send this episode to a friend who could enjoy or get something out of it. And also don't forget to leave us a five-star review on any podcast platform. It helps more folks find the show. Uh, this episode was mixed and edited by yours truly. And yours truly, Adrian Chen, is also our interview producer. Our supervising producer is Long Vo, and our executive producer is, well, me, Josh Ka. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Ge. You can learn more about Bobby's work at bobbygemusic.com. And you're listening right now to Model Minority of Jason Chu's expansive new album, Face Value with Alan Z. Make sure to stream and buy wherever you get your music. I'm Josh. I'm Adrian. And we'll see you soon with more stories of the gold and great. Thanks for listening. Me and my community. And just because some of us found success does not mean we do not know that we are being oppressed. Oppressed. See, some of us have been here for generations. Others children of immigrants and even others still immigrants themselves. We struggle with our own histories of American colonialism, yet we stand by our black brothers and sisters because we share the pain if we say your names. Dichar Ratanapati, Noel Quintana, Delena Hashayuan, Jiao Ji Tan, Dao Fang, and so many others. Rest in peace. This is not a privilege. This is not political. We are America. Never again be invisible. Never again be invisible. We're not invisible people.